Gamble on, fellas. Gamble on. <laughs> Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, U.S. Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. And after a mere nine and a half months, we have a winner in the 2021 Kentucky Derby. Yes, Mandaloon was officially declared the winner this week following the posthumous disqualification of Medina Spirit for a positive steroid test. And trainer Bob Baffert received a 90-day suspension in Kentucky and a $7,500 fine. We sure hope you mandaloon betters didn't tear up your tickets. Uh, John, I'm now setting the line at nine and a half months for the U.S. Olympic figure skating team to find out if they won <laughs> silver or gold. Uh, you going over or under? Yeah, it's interesting that in this I want everything immediately modern world we live in, we have these long delays all of a sudden. I mean, I blame lawyers, not the uh, because they necessarily deserve it, but sometimes they do. So why not? Um, you know, the Bafferson error reminds me not only of Lance Armstrong, I've mentioned before, but mm. also former NBA referee Tim Donahue, who had an unwholesome relationship with several unsavory gamblers from your neck of the woods, Eric, in Pennsylvania. Yep. Uh, and by that, I mean, it's understandably difficult to accept the truth of a sport being not at all clean. I mean, when legendary Monmouth Park trainer Jorge Navarro pleaded guilty last year to conspiring to illegally dope his horses with performance enhancing drugs, he made a comment to report to the effect of, and now get the rest of us too. I mean, that is a bit scary. So, you know, horse racing, cycling, and figure skating are three sports. If if figure skating is even a sport, no, I'm in trouble now. Uh, with uh, has they have deep, deep wounds. You know, Meadowlands racetrack owner Jeff Corral told me recently that gaining a conviction of a second key veterinarian on top of the first one a couple of weeks ago might unravel the whole national scam. But you know, an old country song lyric tells us of uh, old men who sit around and talk about the weather and old women who sit around and talk about old men. <laughs> and I'm afraid to, I have to add the lure of doping innocent racehorses as, a, as another one in that category of things that have always been and may always be. Uh, well, uh, I'll leave the, uh, the country song lyric citing to you. Uh, <laughs> not, not my genre, not my area of expertise, but uh, yeah, you know, sports books and, and race books are in a tricky spot with, with all this stuff. Um, yeah. This is not, quite a doping situation, but uh, our, our pal David Purdom at ESPN just published an excellent piece today on NBA stat mm -hmm. corrections and how they're impacting bets. Uh, and, you know, of course, statistical errors have been swinging millions of dollars in DFS for years. Um, but, you know, it, the, the, all of this stuff, getting it resolved, it's all a little like the instant replay debates. You, you want to see them get it right, but you also don't want to wait around forever waiting for them to get it right. Certainly nine and a half months to know if your Kentucky Derby horse is a winner is too long. Um, you know, not to make light of the Medina Spirit tragedy, of course, but when the horse disqualified for PEDs is not alive anymore by the time a decision is reached, that's a, a sign that it's taken you too long to make a decision. Yeah, there was a very cynical tweet I saw that uh, they didn't want to make a decision while the horse was still alive out of respect. But, you know, <laughs> yeah, you know, that would be very inappropriate. So I, I, I wholly uh, reject that sort of a comment. <laughs> I, I am one of those people who believes that uh, if it's if it's funny, if it's good comedy, then then it's OK to be a little inappropriate. So, you know, hash, put a put a hashtag too soon on it and uh, and still laugh at it anyway. That's my approach. Okay. 
Yeah, I'll do that. Okay. Thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 182 of Gamble On, the podcast that will never be disqualified for PEDs, unless you count caffeine, in which case I'm failing every test, but but John will still come up clean. That's true. Uh, <laughs> anyway, if you missed any of our previous 181 episodes, they're all available on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other podcast apps. Please subscribe, rate, and review. And coming up a little later in the show, we're going to be joined by WFAN host uh, Craig Carton. He's gone from a gambling addiction to becoming a responsible gambling ambassador for FanDuel and the host of a radio show and podcast tackling compulsive gambling issues here in the New York, New Jersey area. I will ask Craig about his reintegration to sports radio, his thoughts on the dangers of parlay betting and more. But first, it's been actually a manageably busy week in the world of gambling. So let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. Our first two stories this week are both about major online sports books and the money they are or aren't making. And we start with Caesars, which, as we've discussed, was the early market leader in New York, at least in terms of betting handle. On the company's fourth quarter earnings call, Caesars Entertainment CEO Tom Rieg shared some perhaps surprising news. The company is now going to cut back its advertising spend significantly. Sports betting commercials are everywhere, and the Caesars ads with J.B. Smoove, Patton Oswalt, the Manning Brothers, and even Halle Berry are perhaps the most ubiquitous of them all. But you won't see them as much anymore in most states. Rieg said, quote, we have accomplished what we set out to do. We set out to become a significant player, and it's happened significantly quicker than we thought, end quote. So while some companies keep a steady flow of commercials going, Caesars is trying a different approach, spending big for a relatively brief time to attract attention and customers, and then scaling way back and trusting that your player base is sufficiently large and will remain sufficiently loyal. John, what do you think of this approach? Uh, and be honest, how much are you going to miss all these spectacularly entertaining commercials? Well, I never heard of J.B. Smooth before these commercials, and I somehow didn't recognize Halle Berry as Cleopatra the first 10,000 times I saw her <laughs> yep. in a few different spots. And I'm really kind of manning doubt, to be honest. Now, I am a fan of comedian Patton Oswalt, though, and I'd have wagered good money that Caesars could not produce multiple commercials and made him not funny. But they, I'd have lost that bet. So, you know, my cynical nature wants me to believe Caesars is just bleeding so much money that they're trying to save face here. But their first month signup numbers are impressive. And we know from other states that most casual bettors are not going promotion shopping with numerous books and then dumping the first ones they sign up with. If you get them in early, you keep them. So I guess uh, hail Caesars, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Um, yeah, I'll say this for the commercials. I thought the ones with the Mannings were okay. They they found a formula that worked a little bit, uh, although I still don't know why you'd use Halle Berry and put enough makeup and costuming on her to leave people asking, wait, is that Halle Berry or just someone who kind of looks like Halle Berry? Mm. Obviously, that seemed to, that was your response, I guess. Um, <laughs> so you know, I, I thought those commercials with the Mannings were decent, but uh, the initial ones with J.B. Smoove doing the We Are All Caesar thing and Patton Oswalt, I feel about J.B. Smoove the way you feel about Patton Oswalt. I thought it was impossible to make him not be funny, and yet they found a way. None of those commercials made sense. None of it sold the sports book. I certainly won't miss those ads. Um, as far as the strategy, yeah, it makes perfect sense. At a certain point, 
they're steeply diminishing returns. You know, the brand name is well established. The awareness is now established. You already hit the New York audience hard as the state was launching. The plan is to ramp up again in Ohio when they launch and other big states as they launch. But for now, scale back, save money. Did they really, you know, accomplish all that they set out to, as Rieg said? That might be some sugarcoating. Um, as I predicted a few weeks ago, Caesars is already out of the top handle spot in New York now that the big promo bets are drying up. But yeah, I mean, I think the ad blitz was generally successful that for them. And and time will tell if they can, you know, if they can just hold a steady top three position in New York. Uh, you know, if they do that, I think we'd say this strategy worked. If they slide back to number four, number five, six months from now, Maybe not. It's kind of an interesting test case of, of spending huge in a major market and finding out how much that matters long term. Short term, this was definitely a success. Long term, still to be seen. Yeah. And uh, they learned a lot that they're not actually telling us about what to do. Ohio will be the next one, but then eventually, presumably Florida, California, and if we live long enough, Texas. <laughs> and um, so I think they really they really learned a lot about what worked and what didn't and how much to do and how much not to do. So I think they're going to be really efficient in those next big states that come aboard. So uh, I think that alone is worth a lot. So even if they're not, they didn't do as well in New York as they are trying to claim as, as you suspect. And I suspect, um, I think that the knowledge they, they learned is going to be really effective and we'll, we'll find out what that knowledge is when say Ohio launches later this year or the beginning of next year, because the commercials will be in a certain way. Will it be the same commercials, different commercials, maybe getting, uh, you know, younger comics or, or people uh, as sponsors. I mean, there are going to be a lot of things that they're, they've learned and we're going to find out what it is when the commercials come out. Yeah, absolutely. Good point. Uh, all right. Uh, DraftKings is the subject of our second story, and it's a concerning story as the company's stock price took a 20% tumble on Friday amid concerns about long-term profitability. DraftKings had 1.97 million unique paying customers in December, which sounds like a lot, but it's short of the estimate of 2.1 million. And the company is projecting a loss for 2022 of between $825 and $925 million, claiming all the while that it expects to be profitable by the fourth quarter of 2023. Uh, CEO Jason Robbins continued speaking optimistically on Friday, talking about DraftKings's quote, strong fourth quarter performance, even as the stock price was plummeting. Interestingly, DraftKings is talking, like Caesars, about cutting back on ad spend soon, at least regionally, as it instead transitions more to national campaigns. I hesitate to ask this, John, because it goes way above our pay grades and is outside our areas of expertise, perhaps. But is it time to start being concerned that DraftKings isn't going to be around for the long haul? Uh, or at least is your draft dual dream drawing closer to reality as these companies struggle to turn a profit? Yeah, I mean, it was just the other day that a new president at Rutgers University here in New Jersey finally admitted that uh, those of us who have covered such angles have known all along that the school's athletic program will never break even, okay, much less turn a profit. If joining the Big Ten quadruples your school's revenues, then you'll spend quintuple the, the amount so the school stays in the red. That's just how it works. It is what it is. But a university can do that, right? What happens if DraftKings ever had to say, yeah, we'll never make a profit either? That's problematic. So, right. And as it happens, on Wednesday, Barstool founder Dave Portnoy said that if I looked around and my brain's going, DraftKings, Barstool, they have very good tech. They have the market share. They have, have to spend a ton. They're spending all this on marketing. We could just erase that. 
all right, combine where you're marketing. I think it's a total game changer. Interesting. Now, of course, Penn National, Barstool's parent company, didn't say that. Portnoy right. did. But <laughs> still, I'll semi-boldly say that we will see a massive multi-billion dollar merger announced sometime in 2022 because it just makes too much sense not to happen. And there might even be more than one of those shotgun marriages within the next 12 months. Hmm. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the the Portnoy thing. I wanted to to touch on that. I mean, yeah, I think a draft duel will probably remain a pipe dream. I doubt that those <laughs> two specific companies will ultimately merge, at least in the next few years. But uh, yeah, the the thing Portnoy said on a radio show or podcast or whatever he hosts that that he thought Barstool and DraftKings should merge and they'd be unstoppable. It makes a lot of sense. DraftKings is name brand and player database with the cost effective promotion of Barstool behind it. That could be a path to profitability, you know, more mm. more revenue, less marketing spend. I, I could potentially see it. But one way or another, something has to change dramatically with DraftKings if they're actually going to be profitable less than two years from now. You know, 10 straight years or whatever it's been of not being profitable. I kind of need to see it to believe it if you say that you're ready to reverse that. Um that said, I you know, we should always uh, put in a disclaimer that stock prices not always reflective of reality. It's reflective of perception sometimes only. And perception is based to some degree on reality and then reality can change to reflect per- perception. But you know, the stock market, you can have a healthy stock market and a struggling economy and vice versa. Um, so I, I just, I take stock news with a grain of salt usually, uh, but it's never a good thing when your stock plummets 20% <laughs> overnight. Yeah, I just wonder if DraftKings figured, look, we'll always have FanDuel to, to battle with, but that's it. The two of us are going to dominate the market. And then Caesars decides we're going to spend a billion dollars on marketing. Mm-hmm. And BetMGM is big, and there are others that are pretty big. You know, uh, if they maybe miss uh, misread the market, that, that it's not just the two of you, that these uh, – uh, especially the casino historic companies right. that uh, really were slow out of the gate. You know, I've talked talked about how New Jersey regulars couldn't believe, you know, in the early days of sports betting when it was about to launch that, you know, the ones who really had it together walked in with a completely, you know, done deal. Here's how it's going to work. We're uh, FanDuel and, and DraftKings and not the casino companies. They didn't expect that because in Jersey, obviously, has casinos going back to 1978. Um, so the casinos were asleep at the wheel uh, initially. But guess what? Some of them have come roaring back. And so there's more competition than perhaps DraftKings ever expected. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, as far as Barstool and where and where they fit in. Look, I'm not a fan of uh, of Dave Portnoy and and his attitudes toward things, but um, I, you know, I I feel like people maybe unfairly knock Barstool Sportsbook at times because it you know he claimed it was going to get to number one and it's obviously not. But when you look at what brands are up there at the very top. Uh, you know, like you said, the two huge DFS companies, DraftKings and FanDuel, that have been around a while now, the huge casino names, Caesars and, and, and MGM. And then pretty much next in line, you got Barstool. I think, you know, yeah. if they're if they're fifth place, given the how, you know, the the relatively uh, shorter time span of, of branding, especially as a sports book and the amount of money they put into it and not being a casino brand that's been around for decades. Um, I, th- I think it's pretty impressive if they are, you know, right around fifth place or so uh, compared to who's ahead of them. Yeah. From a pure business standpoint, Barstool's, uh, their subscribers, their loyalty level is extraordinarily high. That's just the fact. So the other stuff is, uh, is, is, 
significant and relevant in some ways. From a business standpoint, you want that brand loyalty. And right, if you throw that in with DraftKings, uh, that would be maybe pretty unstoppable. Yeah. All right. Our third and final story this week takes us in a different direction as we focus on a specific state and not a state we tend to talk about much. Arkansas approved mobile sports betting rules on Tuesday morning and is now poised to launch online wagering as soon as March 4th in time for college basketball conference tournaments. And then, of course, March Madness. Uh, Now, retail wagering has been live in Arkansas since 2018. Uh, Mobile is going to look a fair bit different than how it looks in most states. Third-party mobile operators have to partner with retail casinos, and the retail casinos have to receive at least 51% of the revenue. So the major operators, like the aforementioned DraftKings and Caesars and FanDuel and BetMGM, they are not likely to enter Arkansas, at least not initially. Instead, it looks like Saracen Casino will launch first with its self-branded Bet Saracen app. John, what do you make of this development, and how important is Arkansas now as a test case for whether other states can legalize mobile betting without making it easy for the major national operators to come in? Yeah, this definitely brings me back to my metaphor about New York being that impossibly attractive ex, doesn't matter if it's male or female, uh, who you knew would hurt you, but you just couldn't stay away. So if you're a sports book, you agree to a 51% tax rate in New York because they're just that hot. Right. Arkansas. Oh, Arkansas. <laughs> you have a nice personality and I hear you're good at crossword puzzles and you're great with pets. But as you suggested, you're just not hot enough to try to charge that 51% rate. Call it, well, not enough return on investment. Uh, I do generally like to see experiments in various states, though, so we can see how it plays out without any consequences since we don't live there. Um, Not sure what to make of this, to be honest. I don't have a great feeling about it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's certainly going to be an intriguing test case. Uh, It's a little like what Florida tried to do in terms of the Seminole tribe keeping DraftKings, Mm -hmm. BetMGM, et cetera, out. But this is a whole different approach, and and it, it might work in Arkansas as you basically said, it, it's not applicable to a big state like Florida, where a major operator would be willing to settle for 49% of the revenue. In, in Arkansas, 49%, that's peanuts. So, uh, you know, for other small states that want their local casinos to reap more benefits, this could work. A lot depends on the apps themselves. Are they going to be good and reliable and have quick in-game betting and all the markets and so forth? Or is there going to be a huge difference in quality between their apps and say FanDuel Sportsbook? That's the key question. If the apps are good and Arkansans have at least three to choose from, which it sounds like they will, they'll have somewhere between three and six to choose from, you know, as long as there's some variation in pricing to price shop a little, then all good. I think this model could work for smaller states. Arkansans, is that right? I believe it is. I, I've seen it in print, and uh, I don't think it's pronounced as Arkansans. So, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, yeah, I think, think Arkansans is the right pronunciation. I think you got to commit. You want to be Arkansas, you got to be Arkansans. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, let's open it up to our Arkansas listeners to let us know: is it are you go. Arkansans or Arkansans? And we'll uh, we'll we'll give a correction on the next episode if I got it wrong. Yeah, hit us up, please. Thank you. <laughs> It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview.
We now welcome to the podcast a man who has spent considerably more time talking into a microphone professionally than John or I have. He's the co-host of Carton and Roberts in Afternoon Drive Time on WFAN, as well as the host of a weekly show all about compulsive gambling issues that airs Saturday mornings at 930 and is also available as a podcast called Hello, My Name is Craig. He's gone from a problem gambler to a leading voice in the fight to prevent problem gambling, and he's a responsible gambling ambassador for FanDuel. He is Craig Carton. Craig, welcome to Gamble On. I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you guys and uh, look forward to it. So let's get cracking. All right. Uh, well, I would think most of our listeners know about your gambling issues and your conviction. You did your time, and I'm curious to know about your reintegration into sports radio following all that. H- have you faced a lot of pushback, or have you mostly felt welcomed and accepted? Uh, more the latter. Um, you know, I was blessed that I had a, a great relationship with uh, this particular audience for a decade, which is why it was also so important for me to come back to New York. You know, I, I was blessed to have some other opportunities you know, not in New York, but I thought it was important to come back because, you know, I, I, I always treat, I think the audience is like a part of like your extended family. And I felt as if I let them down, you know, uh, for 10 years, they counted on me, you know, to give them something. And then I, uh, I turned my back on them in the midst of this you know, terrible gambling addiction. And I felt like I owed it to them uh, to come back to New York, to explain myself to them, to apologize to them you know, hopefully get their forgiveness and an opportunity to, to you, know, re, you know, renew my career at the place where I had my you know, greatest successes. So I've been very blessed that now fast forward a year and a half uh, into our new show, you know, that it's been very well received, that, you know, the ratings are great. The, uh, the listeners have accepted me back. And I recognize there are some that never will. You know, I'm sure there are people out there that will never turn on something I'm associated with because they're either so ticked off about what I did or allegedly did or what they think I did, or they just don't like me. And, uh, and that's okay too. So you know, I, I deal with that, you know, every day of the week. Okay. And I'm curious how challenging it was to find the right balance uh, in terms of subject matter between, you know, casually talking sports on the air and talking about gambling and other heavy issues. Was that, was that sort of difficult at first to to strike Uh, the right balance? It was part of, uh, you know, the agreement I made to come back. Um, I sat down and spent a lot of time with, uh, it was Entercom. It's now called Odyssey. You know, the parent company of WFAM and, you know, the guy who's, you know, been my backbone and saint throughout my career, Chris Olivero, who runs the New York cluster for the company. And he and I had a lot of very long, tough, you know, very personal conversations about where I was in my personal life, where I was in regards to gambling and my uh, well-documented compulsion to gamble. And we agreed that if I did come back, A, I had to be in a good place personally, which I totally respect and appreciate. And B, that I was I was going to play by some different rules than a lot of guys on the radio. You know, I'm not going to pick a game against the spread. It doesn't mean I don't acknowledge that. I know there's a spread. I do. But I'm not going to pick the game with the spread because it doesn't jive with how I live my life now. So uh, I'm in this really unique position where I don't do gambling ads. I don't promote gambling companies. I talk on the peripheral of wagering type talk. 
And they gave me this great platform to do my Saturday morning public servant show, which, of course, you know, hello, my name is Craig, which I know we'll get to. And all that was part of our agreement before I ever came back into the single show that we were in a good place in regards to what I would and wouldn't do uh, in regards to gambling talk or the, you know, the real, the realization that gambling's everything to everybody now, right. and that I was going to walk this fine line where I acknowledge it exists. I acknowledge that it ruined my life and I'm not going to go down that road ever again. And that's a bit of a fine line, but you know, I've been uh, very blessed to be able to, you know, I think travel that line successfully thus far. Yeah, Craig, uh, when I saw you speak at the 4040 Club in Manhattan a couple months ago, uh, it was really interesting. You and another recovering uh, gamblers basically really gave us a, uh, a mindset of, of how you guys think and how it has worked. And that's been helpful to understand. And one of the things you explained was that uh, you felt like if somebody self-excludes from one sports book, uh, you want them to be able to self-exclude from all the legal ones. And uh, I thought that was intriguing because uh, I'm trying to get my head inside of that, that if you self-exclude, you're obviously doing something responsible and then you have a weak moment and then you decide, I'm just going to sign up for the other one. And then if you get stopped by those, uh, would that be enough? Knowing there are illegal offshore sites that they can sign up for anyway. So I'm curious as to, you know, how helpful it is that uh, if, if they, if the companies get together and say, oh, you, you withdrew from this book. So now we're also going to exclude you. You know, how is that helpful to them in that moment of weakness? I want to make that point clearer. So when you self-exclude, you can't pick which ones you self-exclude from. Okay. You self-exclude from all of them. One click of a button. What I, what the point I was making that day that you're referencing yeah. is that if I'm the compulsive gambler that doesn't self-exclude, mm. right? And a lot don't. I see. And you're, and you're the operator. If you've decided that my wagering practices, my deposit practices, the time I'm online on your site practices, if you've decided that there's too many red flags, you're not going to accept any wages from me. My point that day was, Mm -hmm. if you decide it, everyone should go along with your decision. Mm -hmm. So that's different. So if I self-exclude, I'm automatically banned from every online site. If an individual operator bans me, Mm -hmm. none of the other ones ban me. Mm -hmm. And my, my thought is that if you're willing to say no to me as a customer, meaning you're going to turn down the money I'm willing to put into your Mm -hmm. bank account, there's a reason why you're doing that. And if you're going to take that type of aggressive step to help protect the gambler from himself, my feeling is that every other wagering site should honor that. And uh, they should go along with your decision, much like you should ultimately go along with their decision. If they decide to ban somebody, whether it's long-term, short-term or lifetime, I think there should be some reciprocity when it comes to, the operator saying no to the player, because you're right. If you're an operator and I'm the player and you deny me, you bet your ass, I'm going to find another place to go to bet. Hopefully legally. But if not, there's no shame in that game. I'm going to find a place online to gamble because the need and desire to gamble outweighs everything else in life. It outweighs personal health. It outweighs relationships. It outweighs your job. It becomes your number one, two, and three focus 24 hours a day, seven days a week. 
Yeah. Now, have you gotten any feedback? There are a lot of heavy hitters in that audience, obviously, uh, in the gaming industry and sports betting industry. Uh, have you got any feedback to say, yeah, you know, we take your point and, you know, we don't want to take action from somebody who a, a, a rival has already deemed, you know, irresponsible. We don't want to take that or, or, you know, they just kind of oh. nodded their head and patted you on the back. You know, I was told it's a really good idea. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, but my my gut tells me that mm. you know, I, I would listen. I would I think there are half a dozen ballpark, really, really good, honest operators. I think there's probably half a dozen that I would not put in that same category, mm. whether that's because I don't know them or just my gut tells me I'm right. Um, so I think there is the possibility that if you take the industry leaders. Uh, the Fandals, the DraftKings, you know, of the world, I think you have a better chance of having these small little groups agree to respect one another's decisions. But I don't think you'll ever get everybody to because I know full well that you're going to have a, a, a low entry point in some states for a gambling outfit that doesn't have the financial wherewithal that the big boys have. And they're not going to be willing to say no to a gambler. At the end of the day, if I lose everything, that's not on them. That's on me. And I think there, unfortunately, will be some operators that they wouldn't say that publicly, of course. But I think your know, money's money and not everybody will go along with my idea. Right. So obviously the big story in our industry the last couple of months has been mobile sports betting coming to New York. That's been a yeah. huge focus. Now, I know sports betting was not your personal problem vertical. It was mostly blackjack. Um, but for some people, of course, it is sports betting. From a responsible gambling point of view, how has the mobile betting rollout in New York been? How, how does it seem to be in, impacting both the radio conversations and just the, the volume of problem gambling from well, what you observe. Listen, if if you if you if you break this down to just pure mathematics, which uh you know I'm real good at doing, uh, which is probably why I like blackjack so much. <laughs> right. Um if you, you know, so make up a number, it's an arbitrary number somewhat. You know, some people say that you know eight percent of people that gamble have some level of a problem, two percent will have an actual like significant full-blown problem like I do. But if you're adding millions of people into the pool, just mathematics alone tells you you're going to have tens of thousands, if not more, people that present with some level of a problem. Mm -hmm. So what I love about the proliferation of legalized gambling, and I'm choosing those words carefully, what I love about it is that the more mainstream legalized gambling becomes, the easier it becomes for problem gamblers to ask for help, mm -hmm. right? So when gambling is viewed as this seedy back alley behavior, no one's going to come forward and say, hey, I got a problem because it's dirty. So if you fast forward this conversation literally a year from now, where gambling is no longer something unique or new, it's now something that's a part of our lives in well over you know, 30 states, I think we're at 30 now, mm -hmm. then the conversation about gambling becomes commonplace, much like drinking and driving, much like now opioid abuse now, right? Mm -hmm. So it's going to make it easier for guys like me, I hope, and this is my belief, to say, hey, I got a problem. I got caught up in it. 
Uh, and I think it'll make it easier for that. And then my hope, of course, is that, you know, the states that are now receiving these windfalls of money that never existed before will do more than just pay lip service to, hey, we're going to dedicate a couple million bucks a year to responsible gambling and buy a couple radio ads. My hope is that one day those states will build centers where gambling addicts can get help for free. Because that's the second aspect of it. Great. I recognize I need help. Now, where do I go to get it? And B, what does it cost? And unfortunately, and I've lived this, you know, I went to a gambling rehab center. To my knowledge, there are three in the, in the country that are exclusive solely to gambling. There's one in Minnesota. There's one in Prescott, Arizona, where I went called Algamus. And I believe there's one in West Virginia. To my knowledge, and please fact check me, I could be wrong on it. Those are the only three exclusive gambling addiction rehab centers in this country. Now, you can get help at a place that also services, you know, alcoholics and eating disorders and drugs, et cetera. But exclusive to gambling, there's three. So if the state of New York makes, you know, $250 million in tax revenue this year, well, it shouldn't be that hard to build three or four centers where gambling addicts can go get help for free. And that's one of my you know, pie in the sky goals right now. Right. And uh, mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, your, your show, hello, my name is Craig. Um, yeah. You talked about sort of the, the mainstreaming of it with sports betting becoming legal everywhere and that raising awareness. I assume that, you know, a show like that on WFAN, you feel like it, it couldn't have existed a, f- a few years ago that, that, the legalizing of sports betting has opened the door also to talk more about problem gambling and responsible gambling. I think if gambling is not where it is today, there's no uh, responsible gambling show because it's not front and center. No one cares, you know, and remember, and this is, you know, I say this a lot, you know, one of the most difficult things for gambling addicts to deal with is this uh, disgusting adjective that's associated with our addiction. Alcoholics are alcoholics, drug addicts are drug addicts. But gambling addicts are degenerates. Mm. Am I more of a degenerate than a guy shooting up in uh, the street? I mean, I don't think so. You know, we're addicts. You know, there's a similarity more so than a dissimilarity, I think. So I think that's, you know, one of the reasons I do the show and bring on gamblers every week is I want to humanize it. My goal is that people one day will recognize that the gambling addict is the next door neighbor. It's the school teacher, the little league coach, the preacher, the rabbi, the deli guy, the delivery guy, you know, just normal people who unfortunately got caught up in something that was, you know, bigger than what they could control. And that's what it is. You know, like I'm not, it's funny. There was a, a point in my life where I had great shame, you know, coming to terms with the fact that I'm an addict because who wants to be an addict, right? right. I don't want to be. And it wasn't until I took stock that I was like real stock, like no BS, like, okay, you got me. I'm a gambling addict, like in my heart and soul. Like I know today I haven't gambled in three years and eight months, but I know in my soul that I can't do it responsibly or recreationally. I know it. Mm -hmm. So once I got to that now, again, it's not, I don't think you should be proud to be an addict, but I don't have, I no longer have any shame about it. I own it. It's part of who I am. Craig Carton, radio talk show host, compulsive gambler. 
you know, and, uh, and I own that. And I think that's a real powerful thing because, you know, I take the power away from the addiction in some regard. I take the power away from my critics for sure. And me acknowledging that I've got this problem, you know, that I'm human, I think long-term is a very powerful gift to have. And I hope to impart that. You know, I talk a lot about, there are people right now today listening to your podcast who are at step one, day one. And man, day one's a hard effing day. Mm. It is hard. Like I went, I walked out of it. I went in, I tried to find them. It was out of the way GA meeting in New Jersey. It was 6 a.m. on a Tuesday morning in the basement of a church you could barely find on a map. And there were there's six people in there. And I went in and I was so uncomfortable, I walked out. And I went to another room and another room. I eventually found a place I was comfortable in. But, uh, you know, that first day, man, the walls are caving in. Life is dark. And you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. And you know, one of the things I hope to impart upon people is that if you're willing to put in the work and you're willing to really try to get through today without gambling, life can be really good. Life can be rewarding. You know, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And I know for a lot of people, like there was a, if I may, I got a phone call last week. NYPD pulled a young man off the Verrazano Bridge. He was going to jump. And he was going to jump because, you know, the demons had caught up with him. And he had a, a vicious gambling addiction and didn't see a way out. And his family reached out to me because he was a fan of the show. And that's far beyond the scope of you know, my expertise, that level of depression, of course. But I get it, it's real. And people don't realize that like that. That feeling of there's no way out is tangible. And unfortunately, you know, some people don't get it. So they mock it or make fun of it or call you degenerate. But think about, think about the depths of, of, of that where a young man was that literally going to jump off the Verrazano Bridge. Like he didn't see a way out. And that's really sad to me because there is a way out. You can solve your financial problems, not tomorrow. You can rebuild relationships, not tomorrow. But ultimately, the people that love you and care about you want you to be well. And when they see that you're taking the steps to get well, you know, they, they embrace that more so than you could ever imagine. Hey, Craig, you uh, kind of warmed my heart recently. You had a, uh, a bit of a rant about uh, uh, parlay betting, which I've talked about a lot on this podcast. And I'll read the New Jersey you know, monthly numbers and, you know, in, in May or June or August or whatever, uh, the parlays, uh, the books held 17.8% or 19.8% of the money. And in baseball and basketball and football, they held like 4.2%, 4.5%. So when you talk about the not only the compulsive gambling, but the dangers, obviously that's parlays are where the biggest dangers are. So uh, oh I'm just God. curious. I know you, you've talked about how you're not obviously not against legalized sports betting. In fact, you welcome it. It's a good thing. But does that sort of free market sentiment extend completely even to parlay betting or, you know, with all the advertising on that, do you feel a little bit as if that should be dialed back? Because that 
it seems to me that's the the real third rail for compulsive gamblers. You know, if you bet a hundred bucks on the Giants minus six and a half, and that's your only bet all day, and you lose, it's bad, but it doesn't kill you. But all these crazy parlays, you're betting five hundred bucks, you want to win thirty thousand to get even, and of course you're not going to win. You're not going to win. You're going to lose every time, basically. So is that something that is a little too far for you, or are you pretty much free market on? You know, got to let the customer decide. You know. Well, I think I, I think I'm both on it. You know, I free market for sure. You know, you know, buyer beware. Like if you're a gambler and you don't read the fine print, don't know how a parlay works, shame on you. Like you're throwing your money yeah. down the toilet, right? Uh, I find a lot of that promotional stuff, uh, frankly, disgusting. You know, more than 50% of all their revenue is going to come from parlay wagers. You know, if you don't un- understand why that alone should tell you not to bet a parlay, then, you know, again, shame on you. Um, so, yeah, in a perfect world, I respect the free market. It's not illegal. Uh, but I also wish that they would stay away from it because parlay wagering is, I think, the, the, the biggest avenue to problem gambling for young adults, especially inexperienced gamblers. Because, oh, I only have to pick three? Oh, I got to get you know, six times my money? Uh, I, so I, I'm, I find that type of marketing objectionable. I respect that they have the right to do it. Um, and it's one of the reasons we're in the process now. You'll hear about this in the next couple of weeks where I'm going to go on a, a nationwide tour of high schools and colleges uh, to speak specifically to young men and women who are now gambling for the first time, because a lot of them have no idea what they're doing. And uh, I do think you know, it's incumbent upon them to learn if they're going to risk their money, of course. But I also think the operators should put out like a gambling one-on-one video. Like, mm. let me walk you through how to gamble. Let me walk you through what a parlay is and what it isn't. Let me walk you through how to in-game wager. So I think there's an educational part of this, which I think all the operators at some point will do at some level, uh, which I think will be very powerful also. Like in their world, and I, I've expressed this to you know operators, Uneducated gambler is their best customer. Their best customer. Mm-hmm. And I, I know that might be counterintuitive to people. Like, you'd rather the gambler have no idea what he's doing. But you know, this is a mainstream business now. Mm-hmm. And I think for them, you want your customers to be educated. Listen, the house is still going to win more than it loses. But I think it just in a big picture way, it goes a long way for you to say, listen, our customers may lose games, they may win games, but they're not, they're never being bamboozled. And I think long-term that will happen more than it doesn't happen. And we have to remember, you know, this is like the tip of the iceberg. This is all so new to so many people. So again, fast forward a year, three years, five years, I don't think we're having the same conversation. All right. Uh, I'll, I'll remind our listeners that they can find uh, Hello, My Name is Craig as a podcast on all the standard podcast apps. Uh, this has been uh, really enlightening. We appreciate your, your candor, Craig. It's been great talking yeah. to you. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, it's my pleasure. Keep on doing what you're doing. I think more podcasts and, you know, like we said, conversations like this is only uh, for everyone's betterment. And I look forward to seeing you guys down the line. So thank you very much. All right. Thanks, Thanks Craig. Two men. Two men. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. 
Let's update our betting bankroll. And we had an eventful week. Uh, Were we able to extend our winning streak to two weeks in a row? Not quite. So did we have a losing week? Not quite. Here's what happened. Uh, First, a brutal defeat on a large bet uh, three weeks ago. You bet over eight and a half gold medals for the U.S., John, and they were stuck on eight with several days remaining in the Winter Olympics, and they remain stuck on eight with that figure skating situation we talked about at the top of the show still unresolved. It's possible that we'll be retroactively grading this as a win or at least a refund, maybe, uh, but for now, it counts as a loss of $165. Uh, other bad news, my pick to win the three-point contest, Desmond Bain, didn't make it out of the opening round. We lost 50 bucks there and your bets on golfer Thomas Peters to win or to finish in the top 20 both missed that also cost us $50 now the good news you also bet on Adam Scott for the top 20 at plus 140 odds and he actually ended up in the top five Uh, so we won $140 on that and I took Kel Brook to knock out Amir Khan and he did just that in round six so we won $125 on that one so our wins added up to $265 and our losses added up to $265 we broke exactly even so we're still down by $2,966 We now have $545 on hold in futures bets. So that leaves us with $6,489 available to bet this week. And you're up first, John. Well, breaking even is the new black for us, Eric. I guess, <laughs> yes, I uh, guess so. It's like a good week. Yeah. yeah so our over-under at gold medals was eight and a half, as you noted. And Americans won 10 golds before we even consider the skating fiasco. It's just that an American female snowboarder who won two golds decided Well, a cynic would say to pretend to be Chinese because that's where her mother is from. And that cynic, not me, of course, would say pretend it because no surprise, China does not allow dual citizenship. And this athlete won't say if she has renounced her U.S. citizenship. Let me help here. There was no way in hell she renounced her U.S. citizenship. So she is Chinese American, but in my books, she ain't Chinese. Well, not my books, the cynics books, of course. Yeah, um, I should appeal to the points bet karma committee to see if I can get a refund. But enough of my whining, Eric. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll say now, on that that they probably yeah. they probably when they set the line at eight and a half, I guess they knew what country she was representing. So I'm not. Yeah, we, I'm not sure we, we can did. call bad beat on that one. But we but we we can yes. on the on the figure skaters, maybe. Yeah, that's true. She uh, uh, announced this a couple of years ago, if I'm really being honest about it, but uh, <laughs> it's still a little frustrating because she's yep. American. But anyway, um, so uh, now Adam Scott filled the role, played the previous week of aging international golf star for a top 20 by Louis Oosthuizen the previous week. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll try for the trifecta then as the PGA Tour shifts from California to Florida with this week's Honda Classic, which if you look at the field should be called the used Honda Civic Classic. And <laughs> I, I once piled up almost 250000 miles on that very model so i like the brand clearly but a romance magnet it was not uh now this week's wily veteran is sweden's own alex noren so 100 units at plus 150 for top 20 he's in good form the course suits him and as noted the field is uh like a used Honda Civic. <laughs> I happen to drive a Honda Civic these days, although they're they're they're, they're a nicer look, looking car than uh, they used to be. I don't know okay. that uh, that it is the anti chick magnet uh, anymore that it maybe mm. once was. But uh, I had a 1998, if that matters. <laughs> sure, matters to somebody, I'm sure. Um, all right, so uh, you made an Oscars bet last week on Best Actor. We went with Benedict Cumberbatch from The Power of the Dog as the plus 300 underdog. 
I'm sticking with the power of the dog and a best supporting actor bet. And I'm going chalky. Uh, Cody Smith McPhee is minus 275. And uh, again, as I said last week, I gave up on this movie after about 25 minutes. But everything (laughs) I'm reading and hearing says this kid who won the Golden Globe is close to a lock. Uh, It might turn out to be one of those Oscars nights where one movie dominates, where Power of the Dog wins Best Picture, Best Director, and picks up a couple of acting awards and we can win both bets. But if not, I think of this as insurance against the Cumberbatch long shot bet where (laughs) we come out ahead as long as one of them wins. Uh, Let's bet $165 to win 60 on Cody Smith McPhee. If it makes you feel any better, Eric, think about how many of the voters uh quit watching the movie after 25 minutes <laughs> and still voted for these actors <laughs> right. to win the Oscar because they know it's what they're supposed to do. So uh, I'm going to try a futures bet on the Masters in April. Uh, South Korean youngster Sung J M shot 77-80 last year at Augusta to miss the cut, which is hard to do in a field with like 85 players. But in his debut there in 2020, he had an amazing 24 birdies and finished tied for second. I see him here now at uh, on BetMGM at plus 5,000 a win come April. And as well as American Will Zalatoris at plus 3,300. So I placed 10 units on each of those as a, as a possible badly needed big score for us. I think M may win the Honda Classic this week or the Players uh, Championship in March. And if so, the odds are going to drop way, way down. We're going to be looking pretty good. Okay. Uh, that's uh, exciting. Gives us a little uh, time to start uh, sweating the Masters. Um, <laughs> for my second bet, the NBA returns tonight. And the game that has my attention is Celtics at Nets, where the Celtics are totally healthy at full strength. The Nets are still without Kevin Durant. Can't play Kyrie because it's a home game. And Ben Simmons isn't ready to play yet. Uh, so our sweat to see if he misses his first three free throw of the season continues on a little <laughs> while longer. Um, they're also still without Joe Harris. Uh, Goran Dragic, who they just picked up, he won't play yet. It's basically Seth Curry, Andre Drummond, Patty Mills. This is a team of bench players. And the Celtics have won nine of their last 10, including a win by 35 points over this depleted Nets team a couple of weeks ago. The line is Boston minus seven. That feels at least two or three points too low. So let's bet 110 to win 100 on the Celtics to cover. And uh, in, in real life, I actually bet this using points betting. Uh, so I'm so I'm rooting for a serious blowout here. Uh, but on points bet, I had to use the line of minus eight. So for our bankroll, let's just go with a normal bet and the minus seven. And that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest, Craig Carden. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else. And with that, John, please take us out. All right. So not that I was ever inclined to be much of a gambler anyway, but back in college, geez, that's 40 years ago or so. Hmm. I still haven't forgotten a psychology textbook, which explained a study that showed the behavior of pigeons, who if they pecked at a slot, might or might not get a food pellet. If it never worked, the pigeons gave up pretty quickly. If it always worked, they only pecked when hungry. But if it worked intermittently, well, that was enough to keep the pigeons pecking over and over. Then the book noted this is pretty much how slot machines work at casinos. <laughs> so I still struggle when I walk across the casino floor from seeing pigeon heads and those nice blue haired ladies at the machines uh, after all these years. But so meanwhile, a study commissioned this week by the uh, Casino Association of New Jersey, uh, which opposes a smoking ban, found that, well, such a ban could well be bad for business. Not a surprise there. Right. 
But one section was called the value of smokers versus non-smokers. And that methodically examined the two groups. And it turns out, well, smokers are more valuable because, well, they, they lose more money than non-smokers. You know, one casino general manager said that when the casino reopened smoke-free in July 2020, the occupancy rate in the high limit slots area was about 20 to 25 percent the remainder of the summer compared to normal rates of 40 to 50 percent when smoking was allowed. Other executives at two different casinos said last August with smoking, the win rate for all gaming devices in the smoking sections was 40% higher than those of the non-smoking sections. Now, these are anonymous executives offering stats to analysts who are producing a report commissioned by the city's casinos about a possible smoking ban that they just happen to oppose. So it would not be unreasonable for someone to dismiss the whole thing, but I just think it's interesting to realize that two casino industry insiders, if we're being honest, they see you as a gambler, maybe not as a pigeon, but mainly as a revenue stream. And look, that's business after all, but it's good for us to kind of remember that and be realistic. So with that reminder, until next time, gamble on.